be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Americans for President Thomas Kirkman. Sure, Thomas Kirkman isn't everyone's first choice to be president of the United States. In fact, up until a couple of days ago, he was just the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Yes, technically, he's 14th in the line of secession, and if the entire U.S. Capitol building hadn't blown up, he would not otherwise be our president. But he's all we've got. And if nothing else, he does remind us of a particular counterterrorism unit agent, beloved from not that long ago. So give Tom Kirkman a chance, because everyone else is dead. Paid for by Americans for Friends of Thomas Kirkman. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, speaking of disastrous bombs, uh, we just decided that there were no football games last weekend, right? We're just erasing this from the timeline. Uh, it didn't happen. I don't even know what you're talking about, Jim Garrity. Steelers had a bye week. As Jim is mentioning, I, I, he's talking about something, something about some football games last weekend. No idea what he's talking about. Nothing happened. I, I was pretty sure we were on a bye. I know they didn't show up on the field, so I'm guessing they were somewhere else. The only thing that Jets quarterback uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick can throw is the game. <laughs> <laughs> the Texans offense had a bye in New England, I'll tell you that. They, their suitcases weren't even there, there we go. We were 0 for 3 last week. And it's not just, like, this is, this is what I wanted to throw to Mickey. Uh-huh. Which one of our team's losses was worse? And in fact, maybe we can throw in the Texans there as well. Because here's the thing. I think, I think six interceptions is a really strong opening bid for, man, that's terrible. And I would also point out to you, Mickey, that as much as last week was enormously disappointing, people did not come out of it saying, oh, the Steelers stink. They said, wow, the, the Philadelphia Eagles were good. Well, that's what the media said. That's what ESPN said. The Steelers fans had a whole different thought going on because there were some things that we had noticed in the earlier games against lesser teams that could have cost us, and they finally caught up with us in Game 3. That's what I think happened. Um, We've been really slack on tackling. We've had a lot of missed tackles. We've had um, some serious, you know, really blocking issues for Ben, and we've got all those new receivers in there, so there's been some confusion on routes and things like that. Well, when you're playing a team that's not as good, like, say, for instance, the Redskins, um, you can get away with it. But if you're playing a team that is really starting to gel and come together like Philadelphia, you get your ass embarrassed, which is what we had happen. And so I'm kind of hoping, because the game was over like at halftime pretty much, it at least was not one of those like crushing defeats for me. So I felt like maybe this is one of those games they can actually go home and hopefully learn something from in like on film day because... I mean, a lot of the mistakes were still there. They were just finally against a team that were going to exploit it and take advantage. And, you know, Philly's on a roll right now. And, you know, fortunately for us, we're also in a division with the Bungles and the Browns. So our only number one concern is the Ravens. But they did, in fact, win, which sucks. I was going to say, uh, Dave, I'm curious about your take. Um, A lot of people had high expectations for the Texans in the Thursday night game. 
a big surprise for um, uh, New, York, New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick to take the hot dog vendor in Section 243, uh, suit him up at quarterback, and have him go out and play such a great game. That's, uh, that's, that's funny. But, he can uh, take anyone. He simply lays his hands on them, and they become amazing quarterbacks. I have to uh, tell you, the fans, I saw on TV a fan in a bar being asked, what do you what do you think of your chances with your quarterbacks going down like that? And the fan held up his beer and smiled and said, "We're going to win. What are they going to do? Hurt our quarterback?" <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, I, at this point, because you know, you guys know, I'm not a fan of the Patriots. I am the opposite of what a fan is of the Patriots. And when I realized that we w- we had a possibility of seeing Edelman and his quarterback, I. I kind of started cheering for that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Rooting for injuries. I would um, love to see yeah, Edelman so. as quarterback. Never what? want to see anybody permanently hurt or injured or anything like that, but you know, listen, I'm just when I lived in Cleveland, a friend of mine was uh, Brian Wagner, the punter for the Browns. We used to go out in the high school football field over the summer and punt balls back and forth to each other. I used to be a punter in high school. I could still lift my leg above my waist at the time. <laughs> and Brian <laughs> Wagner was a quarterback, a backup quarterback in college. He was primarily a punter, but he played quarterback in high school, so they used him as backup in college, and he could still play quarterback. And he was the fourth-string quarterback in the Browns lineup. He didn't stay there long enough. Otherwise, I'm sure he would have taken a few snaps. But I know how it is to, to be the guy that – you think you'll never get any snaps at all of a sudden that's looking you in the face. Edelman, he's got to be perversely excited about this. Maybe it'll he's happen for him. equivalent of the designated survivor. That's right. right. If the session gets down far enough. That's exactly worry. it. At one point, Heinz Ward, um, years ago, was our backup. At one point, he was the emergency quarterback and eventually became the backup because of injuries. And again, six cents of perversion, even on the Steelers side, we're like, oh, come on, just let him in. Who was that guy on the Steelers years ago, the quarterback they got from Colorado that could play all those different Cordell positions? Cordell Stewart. Cordell Stewart. Yeah, that's a classic example. If yeah. you're an athlete enough, you can do just about anything because you've done oh, it all. Yeah. And Cordell made the game so interesting to watch because you never knew exactly what position he was going to come into. And, you know, when when Cordell was on the field, he was the introduction. They called him Slash um, because he played quarterback. He played wide receiver. Um, he could move around the field and do so many different things um, because he was just amazing as an athlete. Um, so rarely did we have situations where our games actually got cut off. But because we were getting our asses kicked so badly, <laughs> even though we had the national feed, they cut our game off oh, and man. sent it over to the Colts game. That's and I don't know if I've ever been so thankful for Red Zone in my entire life. I remember Cordell Stewart taking a snap one time and throwing it because the other quarterback, the bearded guy, what was his name? Neil O'Donnell. Neil O'Donnell was in there. And Stewart came in, and he looked like he was lining up at slot. But he moved over and took the snap, and O'Donnell ran the route down the left side, and he threw O'Donnell a touchdown pass. Yep. That's how crazy it was. So much fun to watch the crazy things they did with him. Uh, Mickey, you made a reference to NFL Red Zone. Oh, I'd never been more thankful, yes. I was just saying, we have, you know, it's interesting. We may be the the last three people watching the NFL games. Um, The ratings are down significantly from the start of the year. Some people speculating this is the Kaepernick effect. Some people speculating uh, uh, it's the, the amount of intense news coverage that people just turn us into football. Um, one of the things I'm intrigued by, there's a theory kind of floated by one of the sports columnists, is that NFL Red Zone is eating into the game, uh, the, the regular game audience. Because when you're watching NFL Red Zone, as he put it, this is it's all action, 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 action. You know, 
It is nothing but highlights. It is nothing but high drama situations where it's, you know, first and goal from the eight or something like that. And everybody's leaning forward and saying, do I have this guy on my fantasy team or something? And it makes a regular game of, of you know, second and seven. They run it up the middle and get two, two yards, <laughs> you know. And all the regular commercial breaks and all the other regular things that slow down the pace of a game seem much less entertaining by comparison. Uh, what say you? Is, is Red Zone kind of eating away at your your appetite for the, the attention span and such? Oh, I think you are definitely on to something here. Now, let's not forget. I mean, there's tons of different types of NFL packages if you're really into football that you can have, et cetera, through your cable provider, direct TV. But NFL Red Zone gives those of us an opportunity, one, if you're out of market, it's one thing kind of like you were talking about back in the day with ESPN where someone finally talked about your game. The same thing's happening on Red Zone. If your team's about to do something, you're at least going to see them do it. And that's kind of cool. I think yep. the other aspect of it is you talked about fantasy football. Huge impact on the fantasy. I mean, if you have the DirecTV package, they have an entire you know, package de- dedicated to those who do fantasy football. So you can load in your players and see how they're performing. So I wouldn't say that it's just one of these factors. I actually think it's a mix of everything. You've got the Kaepernick effect. You've got um, one, Goodell has also diluted the game by making it you know, a four-day holiday instead of yeah. a three-day, two-day holiday, which is hard um, on people's livers and their time. And you know, sometimes the games then aren't as you know, important Hence, the, as I call it, the diluting of the game and the value of the game. Um, I think that's part of it. But I also think that, that the real part of it is that the audience is so segmented, they have no real way to measure it anymore. Mm. I, was about- I don't know that the audience is actually getting smaller or if their ability, if Nielsen's ability to actually rate television mm-hmm. is outdated. Well, let's keep in mind, there are no ads on NFL Red Zone. Well, they, that's I'm, very key. I mean, they, good they Lord. I will tell you one commercial for, for any of that. No, uh, I but to, I, I get dizzy sometimes. I was about to scoff and say, oh, I, I really don't watch NFL Red Zone that much. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, uh, at least for the hour of the Jet games, I'll usually take the boys to a restaurant uh, not far from here in Authenticity Woods. And uh, it's got the cable package, so it's got a whole bunch of TVs. And you know, and hopefully we, we sit near where the Jet game is on, but they'll have the, the, every, all the other game with not too far away. And oftentimes you'll hear cheering, ah, you know, at the other side of the restaurant. Usually it means the Redskins have scored or something very exciting has happened in one of the other games. And so it dawned on me that I'm in this de facto environment where I very rarely have to watch the commercials during the Jet game. And I can turn my attention to, oh, look, what happened, what happened in the Colts game or something. And, and kind of, uh, on the one hand, I find it more enjoyable to than watching one game beginning to end and you know, having those long commercial breaks. Um, it definitely makes it a more festive and communal atmosphere. On the other hand, if you're an advertiser, and you want uh, people to be paying attention to those commercials so they will buy the products advertised in those commercials, maybe it isn't the best game-viewing environment for you from your perspective. Well, and I think that, you know, your idea there was possibly how Red Zone came about. People sitting around and they were watching it in a sports bar, maybe had a couple things to drink, and they're like, you know what would be better? 
if we just watch from the red zone from <laughs> 20 yards in every game because I'd like to know what's going on, but I don't really need to see them do. Let, let's replicate on a single channel what those drunken fans are doing in the 20 TV sports bar, turning from screen to screen when every team gets in the red zone. Exactly. Put all that so, on one channel. So, yeah, it's, it's very inspired, but I think, you know, everything is changing in the NFL and, well, you know, media has a lot to do with that and social media as well. Um, we're going to talk about more about that and so much more in this episode of the Jim and Mickey show. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And we'll be right back. Tastes like a beer because it should because it's brewed like a beer. Of course it's good. Working out or working late when you're thirsting for a break. Let's be perfectly clear. It's what beer drinkers drink when they're not drinking beer. Odoo's, the brew from Anheuser-Busch, with the alcohol naturally removed for real beer taste and only 70 calories. Anytime, anywhere, it's what beer drinkers drink when they're not drinking beer. Odoo's. We now return to our regularly scheduled program. Now, back to the Jim and Mickey Show. Hi, and welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with Jim Garrity. One of my favorite shows on television that's been around forever is South Park. Um, as you all know, I am a social media addict. Um, I, I can't, I really don't know anyone who isn't though, whether they admit it or not. And I always feel like admitting is the first step to recovery. So I have admitted that I'm a social media addict. And while South Park has been on the air for, can you believe 20 years, which is absolutely insane. One of the reasons that they've been able to be on the air and, and be funny and be relevant is because they stay on top of things that are current. And, and, and it almost sometimes feels like the guys of South Park are living like parallel lives to me because whatever's going on in my world, I feel like on Wednesday night at 10 p.m. I can turn on Comedy Central and not only will the kids of South Park be living my life, they're living it so much funnier. And better than I am. And this season, obviously, they're talking a lot about the presidential election, but they always have multiple currents kind of going on with their storylines and their story arcs. And while each one is good, and, and this particular week, they actually had um, a debate segment already set up and set to run. These guys have been known to put together an episode in 24 hours. It's, it's kind of amazing. That's how current things are. But the underlying theme... Um, for this particular season thus far has been the impact of social media and the idea of bullying on social media, developing friendships with people on social media, and then having them you know, turn out to not be who you think they are, etc. And so people then end up being upset and they end up quitting Twitter. Mm-hmm. And the idea of quitting Twitter is something that's been very popular with from everyone, you know, all the way up to uh, to Leslie Jones um, and others who have very publicly said, I'm done. And then, of course, they come back because they always come back. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Pet Cemetery, yeah, for social media. But they they the important thing here is that they have the opportunity to, you know, tell people why they're quitting. And this was one thing that was focused in on significantly last in, in this week's episode, which was no one ever just quits Twitter. So they were investigating why Cartman, and I don't feel like I'm giving away too much here, just disappeared. 
And they said, you know, no one ever just quits social media. First, they have to write for days and days and days and paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs about why they are leaving social media. So his absence was suspect. You have driven me, you know, poor people of Twitter who have behaved so badly, you know. Yes. And so they were very like the idea being, of course, that if you if if because he had not first emoed himself out to the world (laughs) about why, you know, he was leaving social media, that's what people do. When they leave social media now. <laughs> and, and it hit me and I'm like, that is so spot on. Not because of any of the, you know, the, not, you know, we talked a little bit about the Twitter safety council last week. Not any. No, that's not what I'm talking about. These are people that choose to leave because of one reason or the other. And they actually believe that others will care. They say they want to be forgotten, but then they try to leave with a classical oration, the likes of which people will never forget. So they kind of go and both so ways. that they'll be missed. Yes, they'll, they'll not be forgotten. And so that people say, no, come back, come back. And then they do. <laughs> and now I would suggest that if a percentage you know, was done and checked of the people who have quit social media, and specifically those who have quit Twitter, but... But there was a period of time where it was cool to quit Facebook, too. Um, but now Twitter's kind of that thing. You know, it's like, I, I'm quitting Twitter. It's the new I'm joining Twitter. Um, but when when they leave, it usually takes less than 72 hours, and they're back. I want everyone to remember that I wish to be forgotten. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you've you've pointed out a, a increasingly common phenomenon. Now, um, I, Andrew Sullivan has this big essay about how tech is destroying us. It's affecting our minds and it's, you know, uh, doing all that. Now, you know, Mickey, you and I have talked about over the years, I, I think it's unhealthy to spend a lot of time on social media. Um, I, and I, and people say, Jim, aren't you on Twitter quite a bit? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know about you, Mickey. I've had certainly times where I've been like, you know, I put something out there. It gets misconstrued by everybody. You get all kinds of vulgar stuff. You find yourself interacting with people you would never interact with in real life, mm-hmm. and you would blow them off. But if you blow them off on Twitter, you know, then you know, you, you've, you know, you've done some sort of great insult or something like that. Um, I think you had said in one of our previous discussions that Twitter turns everyone into a celebrity, mm-hmm. turns everyone into a public figure, which makes, obviously, things like libel laws a lot more complicated. <laughs> and you know, it used to be to be a public figure – you you had some benefit from that, right? Now, if you're a if you're out there on Twitter, you're a public figure, but you don't get any of the uh, the fortune that usually goes with it. <laughs> don't get any much. Right. Of the you don't get any of the perks, right? Nobody ever says, "Oh, give me the good table at the restaurant." They're Twitter famous. No groupies. Yeah, right? oh, this Twitter famous. No groupies. So you end up getting the 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 mockery, the haters, the the negative public response of that. Um, and yeah, I'm not really sure what that large number of Twitter followers gets you. Uh, am I am I growing too cynical about this? Or no, I mean, you, you obviously there's the idea of having a large number of followers. Obviously, if you're a celebrity, you're going to have a lot of people who are interested in what you're doing, what you're saying, etc. I think one of the more interesting stories about Twitter this week is that. Google is looking into buying it, as is Disney. And if I get a choice of, you know, which, you know, overlord I want, <laughs> I think I want Google on this oh, really? one. really? Yeah, I think I want Google on this one. I don't want Disney's first major foray into social media to be messing with my Twitter. Huh. 
So I you welcome your new robot overlords is what you're saying. <laughs> I was about to say. I welcome anyone who will listen to us when we say put an edit function on it. <laughs> uh, consider, uh, first, I was about to say, Mickey, everything good in our lives comes from the Disney Corporation. <laughs> All the Marvel superhero movies. Mm-hmm. ESPN, although people would say, ah, oh, ESPN, it's turned into. You know how I feel about them. Yeah, it's, it's promoting Kaepernick and all that stuff. The Star Wars movies come to us from Disney, you know. Every show on You ABC. know, when you just said that, you actually developed your evil accent. I don't even know if you <laughs> meant to do that. They came from Disney. <laughs> like, it's I don't even know if you meant to drop into your, like, evil, vaguely <laughs> Middle East or <laughs> Middle, <laughs> Middle East well, European. Eastern European accent, very vague, um, but that's where you went. Do not mess with the Disney corporation. Exactly. Mr. <laughs> it's Mr. Gru. I expect a bunch of minions to come running around any second now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but minions not a Disney movie. One of the few things to not come from that. So, um, so here, but Google isn't the whole slogan of Google: "Don't be evil, but collect all kinds of information on people and save it up and store it." <laughs> Use it against them when you want to, <laughs> but totally don't be evil. Not evil. Nothing okay, evil about that. I get that. that, but I don't care. Like I have already see you guys. I, I guess I'm I'm the marine in this particular podcast because I am reminded of the scene, um, and it was from I I believe it's probably been used in many different movies. Actually, now that I think about it, but I think it was Full Metal Jacket that they were sitting there and they were told they were already dead. And so, you know, anything, everything else was just whatever, and they're moving forward. Well, in this particular case, I feel like all of my information is probably already in the hands of anyone who wants it um, and has been used probably for evil. I've I've just accepted the I'm already, like, (laughs) hacked all over, and I just move on with my life. Like, I don't worry about it because I don't – it's one of those things where – if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Is this the social media version of all PR is good, just spell my name right? Um, I think so, but I, I think to the other – I mean, as far as the Google aspect of it, though, I think that, you know, th- as far as I'm having my information, I'm pretty sure they already have everything. Like, and have access to all my emails. <laughs> so, you know. Mickey, this, you know, may I suggest this as our next um, Trivial Tuesday contest? Who would you rather see take over Twitter, <laughs> Google or Disney? Yeah, I like it. I like it. I think that that might actually be a good one because which, I think it'd be interesting corporate, to see what yeah, people which have to say. Overlord Master, uh, do you find least threatening to you, or or the lesser of the two evils there? I, I want to, you know, I personally, because you know how much I love that particular platform. I love a lot of different kinds of social media. Ironically, the one I hate the most is Facebook. Um, I just, I can't do it. I'm so, because I, I see Facebook as the place where people have almost created like their own personal diaries. And you know, you guys know me. The last thing I really want to do is share like personal <laughs> details of my life. Like I share things that I want to share with people and I love talking about interesting things and my dogs and whatever. But like I am not someone and we all know this person who goes on to Facebook book, 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 and immediately like, guys, I have to tell you something. It's been really rough because and insert like the most awkward situation you've ever heard in your entire life. And your best friend would tell you this story and you would blush. And now you know that all, you know, thousand of their friends are reading it. 
<laughs> along with you and liking it and making comments. It, it's too much. It's too much. I can't. I can't. Now that we've talked about how terrible Facebook is, it's a good time to let people know that you can find Facebook forward slash The Jim and Mickey Show and like us on Facebook and share it with all your Facebook friends. Yes, and uh, if you're going to give out the address, because, you know, all publicity is good, facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. No, the. Okay, got it. Just like National Review. We are not the National Review. <laughs> right. Um, you know, as I look at that, it's interesting. Facebook, I, I, most people who have had trouble with Facebook, I, I, one of, a couple of my colleagues have observed this, that when it started, people weren't really sure if they were going to use it for personal stuff or if they're going to use it for work stuff. And I remember some of them saying, like, oh, people start, I started friending people on Facebook because of work, and now they have pictures of my kids. You know, and all, all of a sudden, like, things that you didn't want to yes. share with a large group of people were being shared. Uh, so I have a work one and I have a personal one. And whenever people from, you know, uh, from, from work world want to connect, there's always that question, like, do I trust these people with pictures of my kids and my family and all that kind of stuff? It's just, it's just personal. It's not meant to be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so, you know, knocking on wood so far, so good. But um, I'm I- learning to work with the new Facebook settings, which you can set for each individual post. Yes, it takes a little bit longer, but I'm thinking that it might make me a better Facebooker. It might. Um, I, I still think, actually, because of the sheer proliferation of photos and, and what it has been, um, it kind of uh, – it, it doesn't lend itself well to that. I think Twitter, because of this, this, this length format and the ability to link and things like that, um, I think Twitter is more conversational. I think Facebook is really designed for sharing the aspects of your life that you want to share and, of course, for stalking old ex-girlfriends and boyfriends. Um, See, that's I, what I used it for in the beginning, and it was awesome. Uh, I am Jim Garrity. That is Mickey White. We'll be right back after this. Because remember, this is us, and we'll be discussing This Is Us. Do you remember when America was a free country? I'm spaceman. The moon and sun and all the stars are great big tootsie pops. I'm a princess. Lord, it's a party tonight. We'll have Tootsie Roll Pops. All the kids in the neighborhood say Tootsie Roll Pops are triple good. Triple good. And do you know why? Sure. Because one, there's good tasting hard candy outside. And two, there's a delicious center of Tootsie Roll inside. And three, only Tootsie Roll Pops are said fun to eat. That's why they're triple good. And don't forget, Tootsie Roll Pops come in a party pack, too. Ten pops and assorted flavors. There's a game on the back that's lots of fun to do. All of the kids in the neighborhood say Tootsie Roll Pops are triple good. Triple good. You'll love Tootsie Roll Pops. You jackwagon! Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And we've been enjoying quite a bit of the new fall season. Uh, I enjoyed uh, Speechless over on ABC about the uh, family with a disabled son, a comedy. Um, the Designated Survivor starring President Jack Bauer. I'm sorry, uh, Kiefer Sutherland has been enjoyable. Uh, but Mickey, you said one of your favorites is the uh, curiously titled This Is Us. Am I correct? Yes, it is a highly buzzed about show. Um, a lot of, you know, they've had the actors out and about. And it is an ensemble cast. And the promos for it, I've got to tell you, Jim, the promos were, as I was watching them, I, I kept thinking to myself, I'm either going to love this show or I'm going to hate it. 
like hate it with a passion that, you know, is only found for, you know, other shows that I feel this way about. But anyway, long story short, this show is has been billed as the show of our generation. The show of Generation X hmm. is what is what they're calling it. And the storyline is filled with twists and turns that, to be honest, there are a lot of so-called, you know, thriller-type crime-solving shows out there that their twists are much more predictable than what this show offers. And it's about a family. And I don't want to give away too much, but I'm going to have to give away some um, in order to kind of walk you guys through it. But it's about a family. And Mandy Moore plays the mother. Now, Mandy Moore, you know, kind of grew up as the, you know, pop star queen, did some of those teen movies, etc. But she has really developed into a phenomenal actress. And this is kind of the role of her life. And I don't feel like I'm overstepping by saying that. She fits this very well. She plays um, a generational role that is revealed much um, towards the end of the very first episode that she is the mother and she is a young mother. She is a middle-aged mother and she's a grandmother in this series. So you watch the characters grow from the day they were born until 36 years later. The episode, the very first episode, begins on their 36th birthday. So to say that this is a targeted show is an understatement. Um, I noticed it has Sterling K. Brown, uh, who we had recently enjoyed earlier this year as uh, playing Christopher Darden in The People vs. O.J. Simpson on FX. And a lot of people said that in a lot of good performances there. Uh, he really had done the most fantastic one, creating a really compelling figure, um, conflicted, um, you know, uh, a lot going on under the surface and communicating it just kind of with his eyes and his face. And how, how is he? How is he? Uh, Impeccable. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. We, he said, I believe he won an Emmy, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, he's, he, he is actually doing an incredible job. He is one of the people who turns 36. And what we find out about this little family is that the three of them are triplets. And I'm not going to give away how that ends up happening, but there are three characters that are triplets. And they all turn 36 on the same day. And it's an amazing story of things that, you know, it's the kind of nostalgia that doesn't necessarily make you smile as often as it makes you wince and smile at the same time. Mm. Painfully familiar. Painfully familiar. And at the same time, it's not saccharine sweet. So whereas I never got into parenthood like at all, I tried to watch it and could not. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a story about a family that I find much more interesting. And I think part of it is because every single episode I find myself going, oh, because of the flashbacks between current day and the mid-70s, 80s, 90s, et cetera, mm-hmm. as they're growing up. It's kind of a flashback of them looking back on their lives and the things that have happened and then bringing them up to current. And, and again, the, it's, it's in, the writing is so solid and the acting is 
really, I, I mean, really the casting is incredible, but the acting is exceptionally well done thus far. And I'm only two episodes in. I am 100% hooked. And I can't wait to see what happens next. At the end of the second episode, I I was sitting here watching it. Mr. Bias walked in and I was like, oh. and he goes, I said, I guess that was a surprise because I, I physically had a reaction to it. So, um, yeah, I think it's one of those shows that I'm going to be really curious to see which direction it goes. But one of the things that's interesting is part of the flashbacks involve flashbacks to the 70s and to the 80s. And even to, you know, I think we're going to get into the early 90s here. And what's crazy about all of that is some of the experiences and the language, kind of like we talked about with Stranger Things. Um, it's that nostalgia, but it's a different kind of nostalgia because you're seeing it through the eyes of both adults and children. And you forget what a different world it was just 36 years ago. Hmm. See, as you're describing that, I'm noticing that uh, I suppose this is on NBC, correct? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, okay. I'm terrible with that. Yeah, it's should salute them uh, for creating a show that is not. Oh, it's a cop drama. Oh, it's a medical drama. Oh, it's a legal drama. Right? I mean, that, those are those are the big three professions. Absolutely. That get portrayed, and you already kind of know. Well, it's a show about an ER, so each week they're going to try to save somebody, you know, from not dying on the table. Uh, it's a cop drama. They're going to try to solve the, the case at the end of the, uh, by the end of the episode. Oh, it's a legal drama. They're going to try not to lose the case. You know, um, when you do a show that's about, as you're describing, family life, theoretically, that should be more broadly appealing because we may not necessarily be cops, doctors, or lawyers. We may not necessarily interact with those groups, but we all have families. And we should all kind of you know, have that. But uh, strangely enough, it seems that's harder to do. Um, and I remember you know, having this kind of fascinating observation of watching my sons. That they enjoy Teen Titans Go uh, and superhero shows and wacky, goofy comedies on Cartoon Network and all kinds of stuff. But so far, they still really enjoy Peanuts and the Peanuts special and Charlie Brown and all that kind of stuff. And it, it realizes that Charlie Brown, it's about kids. Right, it's not about. I mean, Snoopy has his imaginary uh, World War One flying ace and things like that, but most of it is about the life of a kid, mm-hmm. and it's more or less what they're living about going to school or playing in little league or or all the little things that happen when you're a kid. Like, I always kind of wondered if like there was something smart and wise there, uh, and that it kind of made it a little bit more resonant. Um, and I say this as, you know, one of the probably, well, don't they call that like the, the three foot view of the world? Yeah. You know, um, and the idea that we, you know, um, we should be able, a a good writer and and good actors and a good creative staff should be able to make more or less ordinary life interesting. Uh, and then it's sometimes, and I say this as a diehard fan of superheroes and science fiction and magic and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff that maybe sometimes that's a crutch, uh, that maybe sometimes you should be able to make an interesting story about something that doesn't require something to be fantastic or otherworldly or uh, super-duper intense. Agree 100% on that. I think that it's it's been tried. It's really rarely done well. Um, and like I said, we're only two episodes in, but I am hooked at this point. And, and the idea of developing this family and watching them grow, I'm fascinated um, with the way that they decided to put it together. You know, there aren't explosions. It's, it is anything but formulaic. 
And so, yes, kudos to them for putting it together. I do hope um, that it catches on because I think it's, it's got some interesting aspects of it. As, like I said, because you flash back and forth, it's much more about what shapes us mm-hmm. as people. And because we're watching these three people who grew up virtually um, with identical lives, but with different things that impacted them, there's a certain philosophical aspect to that as well. You realize, of course, that uh, if this is popular, there will be 12 more just like it next season, and then it will be formulaic. You know that, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, I just don't think that they can do it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I was going to say, you know, there's some, you know, sometimes people need to invent new formulas. So, um, it, it's interesting you, you talk about the, the need for the background, because I remember um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at uh, up in New York for a, a fiction writing conference, a bunch of authors talking about it. And some, one or two folks who'd said that my, uh, my novel, the, the Weed Agency, the characters don't have you know, enormous backgrounds, even though the story is being told from about 1980 to about 2012 or so. Um, and so to me, like, you no, know, they, they have a past. We're watching the past as that. But I guess they, they, didn't, they didn't feel like there wasn't enough backstory to the characters when you first meet them in 1980. I, 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 you, know, you could argue that. Like, no, no, I'm trying to tell a story here. Um, in this fiction that I'm writing right now, all of a sudden it did dawn on me, wait a minute. No, no, you really got to lay out why that is. And that this was the story that I was writing had room for that. Um, and that you could kind of say, okay, you need to put it in the best moment of that, that person's life and that worst moment of that person's life and how that shaped them to get them so that when they enter the stage, you know, act one, scene one, things have already happened to them. And over the course of the story, either they talk about it or someone makes reference to it or you flashback. There are a lot of different ways you can do that. But that ultimately, that what happened before your story begins is almost as important as what happens in your story. Uh, and it sounds like the uh, the creators of this show really took that to heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that you'll really enjoy it. And uh, I think that, you know, that's something that makes or breaks both books, movies, TV shows. How invested are you in the characters? Because the storyline doesn't have to be as solid as the characters. We talked about um, true crime and, and books a few weeks ago. Specifically, you brought up Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Mm-hmm. And that is the best selling, you know, you mentioned it was the best selling true crime book of all time. And when I think of Midnight, um, I don't think of the crime. I think of I think of the characters. I think of how, you know, Savannah was portrayed. I, I, I feel like that was much more what it was about. I was going to say, yeah, that's another example of how um, you, you, when you take a setting and effectively make it a character. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, some of the best stories make that, you know, in fact, that can be, you know, to cite my all time favorite Twin Peaks, you know, the town is the character, right? I mean, that's sometimes the location mm-hmm. of Dallas, right? Um, think about all the shows that are named by a location, not by a particular character because of the location itself is kind of what defines sex uh, in the city. Character. There you go. Exactly. Eureka. What is that town where all the crazy stuff happens? No, oh, yeah, Eureka. <laughs> Shh, Dave, don't talk about it. That's where Sorry. I was born. All right, coming up in the next segment, guys, I, I got to tell you, it's, it's a great show. I do encourage our listeners to get out there um, and give it a shot. Uh, I'll be curious to hear how you respond because I am not a sentimental person um, in any way, shape, or form, and I'm not a crier. Uh, the two men on this, on this podcast will confirm that. 
<laughs> and um, I, I tend to not find that at all what I want to do with my entertainment. However, I did see a lot of social media talk about people being very emotionally moved and invested in these characters already to the point of tears at the end of the first episode. So, you know, it's I guess it's all about how you take it. And I cannot wait to hear your response. And uh, when we come back, we are moving into October. And that can only mean one thing. Tricks and treats. Halloween is on the way. I could have used a little more cowbell. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show, and we are getting into my favorite time of the year. I do love Halloween. It really is, I think, my favorite holiday. I love getting dressed up. I love having multiple costumes. Um, I, I'd like to encourage our listeners to, as you you know, get ready for Halloween, if you want to send us pictures of your house, your decorations, your kids, your costumes, your pets dressed up in costumes, send them. I love them all. If you're on Twitter, tweet them at me. I'll retweet every single one because this is really much more fun than Christmas. It's better than Thanksgiving. And, you know, it's right up there with the 4th of July. It's nothing but parties and fun and you get to play dress up. Which is great because I think secretly deep down I'm a cosplay girl, and I find I, that easy to believe. <laughs> I, right, right. It makes Back to the part of like, why haven't you been doing this? Why have you not ended up going to you know cosplay and things like that? I, I think because I just never had time. You know what my life was like up until a couple of years ago, and I think it's you know, I just never had time because now I'm like reading up on it and I follow you know our friend of ours, um, Emily, who is huge into cosplay and in fact I'd like to have her on at some point maybe before Halloween to talk about it because she you know buys costume makes her own costumes that's like Halloween to me that's what it's about however there are some people who find Halloween to be about terrifying other people now look I'm all about going to a haunted house trust me I hit up every single one we have in the Richmond area Every single year. Like, I plan it out. Okay, like, Wednesday we're going to go here. Thursday we're going to go here. Right? Because the lines can be long sometimes, so you need to be prepared. What I am not comfortable with is scaring people in situations where they don't see it coming. Because it borders on both, like, assault and the ability to possibly get your ass shot. Now, we you talk- have a time for this one, Mickey, and I'm hoping it's not Kevin Williamson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, to be fair, I'm sure that he got copied on this story quite a bit because just this week, there's a there's a meme. First, let me explain this. There is a meme out there of a creepy clown looking in a window in a little hood. It's creepy. It's scary. It's freaky. It's all over the Internet. When you say a hood, like like a hoodie, like a hooded sweatshirt, like a Grim Reaper type hood. Oh, okay, all right. So in other words, not okay, not some um, clan hood or something like. No, that. No, 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 no. Let me. Ex- sorry, thanks for the clarification. Oh, no, clan like, clowns are the worst. Yeah, yeah. clan clowns are. Obviously- <laughs> <laughs> hey, kid. <laughs> yes, and uh, but no, it's, it's a Grim Reaper style. Yeah. Hood, and the clown's creeping in with his little hands cupped around his face, so you can see that he's like peering in the window at you. Well, some genius, and I mean this, created a replica of that meme that you can stick on the outside of someone's wall window and have it look in on you. (laughs) 
So needless to say, it was extremely popular, apparently, as soon as it hit the shelves of Home Depot. So popular, in fact, that it immediately had backlash. Red lights in the eyes, the eyes glow, that sort of thing. People immediately were like, nope, this is just a little too creepy. Like, I can't have it. I don't want people coming up sticking that thing on my window. Like, and so Home Depot pulled it from the shelves. However, if you are still interested in the creepy peeper, it was available online as of this taping still for $39.99 at HomeDepot.com. It's an order so, of magnitude worse than Elf on a Shelf, I'll tell you that. Yeah, they, they, just, they took it off the shelves. They said they would stop selling it, but it is still available online. But when you see this thing, it is creepy. It does look like the meme. Our friend Gay Patriot had recreated the meme where he put Clay Aiken's face in it, which was also very creepy. And to be fair, I kind of feel like it looks more like the one with Clay Aiken. You know, because <laughs> when you first told me about this, I was like, oh my goodness, we're banning things that are too scary on Halloween, which the whole point of the, the holiday was to scare people and to be you know, spooky and things like that. In light of what you're describing, yeah, I think it would you know, be kind of... It's like, this is a little bit like the phenomenon of the creepy clowns in the woods we've been just hearing over the last couple of weeks. Yes. Mickey, you're a fan of the Purge movie series. You believe that there is a great, there's great usefulness mm-hmm. to the concept of a national purge of, of the most uh, of, of stupid people. Think of masks like this and or the creepy clown masks mm-hmm. as sort of Darwinism in action. Oh, absolutely. People who do this are going to get shocked. People who do this are going to provoke the wrong person and bleed in the street as a result. Apparently the same way uh, I was unaware of this, but apparently there's somebody who does a prank show, and I'm making my air quotes as I say that, where they run into a park and, like, grab women. Uh, And I guess that's the prank. (laughs) And I'm making air quotes. So it's basically, oh, I just assaulted you. Don't worry, it's just all part of a prank show. (laughs) Is this the same guy who uh, attempted to kiss Kim Kardashian West's ass? Might have been. I, look, I'm not. I'm he on. recently assaulted Gigi Hadid as well. And yeah, that's not a prank. See, same concept. Falls into the same thing. That is what we call not a prank. One of these days. That is one of those things day. where you, get, you will get shot. You'll get stabbed. You'll come across some woman who's got a black belt. She will lay you out. Um, or as I always envision, you know, I envision a clown jumping out in front of my car and I run them over. <laughs> There'd be no way, like, to physically keep me from my own natural instincts to run that clown over. Give me a moment, Mickey. I have to call the Twitter help uh, trust. <laughs> <laughs> the committee. You know, I, I've got a kind of dark sense about me anyway. And when it comes to clowns, look, I, I, I don't think that I could control that that instinct. That you white banned from urge. Twitter. <laughs> Dude, I know, right? I'm going to get banned from podcasts for just saying that out loud. But one of the other things that's come that you know always brings about the Halloween feeling, at least for the last six years, has been American Horror Story. And every single year, they tell a different story. And this year, they're telling a story that I am really excited about. I'll be honest, I'm a fan of the show, but there's only two seasons that I really love, and two and the the remaining other three seasons were weak sauce. Like they, they, some of them may have started out strong, but then they went downhill, but murder house was fantastic. That was the first season and coven was fantastic. And that was the third season. And this particular season, it was a big secret. They did a lot of promotion 
about keeping it quiet, believe it or not. Like they, they actually put out, believe it or not, misinformation trailers for the show so that no one really knew what the theme was going to be this year. And as you're watching the show, you still don't really know. However, in the very first episode is introduced as something that we're all extremely familiar with. It's set up in the true crime interview, then dramatic recreation mm-hmm. format. And so you have actors playing the real people and you have actors playing the dramatic recreation people. And it's a fascinating story. It's set in North Carolina. It's, it's already tying in the idea for you history buffs out there, the idea of the lost colony of Roanoke oh. and, and the some supernatural implications of that. That the and, movie they made out of that with that guy that played the immortal in the TV show, the, the uh, Scottish guy, the Irish guy. That was a creepy movie, the Roanoke movie. Oh, yes. This, this, this ties into that. There's a lot of homage to older movies that have also focused in on it. Um, one of the coolest things, though, as I talked about, is you have actors playing actors and actors playing real people. And the actors playing the actors or the couple in it are Sarah Paulson and Cuba Gooding Jr. So Marsha Clark and O.J. Simpson. Okay, because I saw this, Mickey. Uh, I know it's done by the same team that did FX's uh, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. And it just struck me as a, a really weird sequel where they hooked up and, and they started moving in together. And I, <laughs> Absolutely. About if you've watched the two shows close together, it can be a little confusing. I thought it was a metaphor or something. I so, think okay, also the two of them decided to quit Twitter, right? <laughs> Went back about 400 years. <laughs> yes. there it, It's absolutely, um, like I said, a great cast. A lot of familiar faces from previous seasons. Some real, some new, fun, fresh characters as well. And uh, and like I said, it, to me, it was funny. And, and there's no getting around it. Seeing Marsha Clark jump into bed with O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Perfect. Um, <laughs> for all the fanfic that's been written out there. <laughs> <laughs> All the slash fiction written about the O.J. Simpson trial. Um, I, we are coming towards the end of this segment. We have one more segment, always our, our fun, exciting, fast-moving final one. Uh, but here's a little bit of a spoiler alert. We're going to be discussing spoiler alerts. We'll be right back right after this. Don't tell him that. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns and those who dig. Taking Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. (laughs) Hey, here's a great place to visit if you must do some driving. Your independent Texaco retailer. Hi, I'm Mike Wallace with a sensational shortening discovery for better baking and frying. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden Fluffo. Let's hear what Mrs. Thelma Styra, Indiana State Fair baking champion, had to say about Fluffo. I love Fluffo. It makes such a golden brown pie. Oh, man, that's some apple pie. Get golden Fluffo. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And uh, Mickey, this is usually the part of the program where we talk about your fantastic Trivial Tuesday contest. Follow Mickey on Twitter. It's usually some sort of uh, uh, unusual kind of survey question, taking your your temperature, getting your opinion on something. And um, what was our Trivial Tuesday this week, Mickey? I will just go ahead and put my hand out so you can smack it right now. 
<laughs> oh, we didn't have one. Okay, that's all right. Then. Not a problem. Not a problem. Have the best of there was this big event that went on Monday night that kind of had everybody buzzing about Tuesday night. So maybe it wasn't a good – it was a rebuilding week for the Trivial Tuesday. But I, I have a suggestion for this one. And you can okay. Put that next Tuesday. Uh, I was reading about something. We thought, talked about spoiler alerts, um, whether people feel a need to totally you know, honor them, whether people don't care. I want to know what is the worst spoiler you've ever heard? What, what ending, what shocking twist, what film, TV show, book – uh, had, was ruined for you by somebody, and what sticks in your craw, and what drives you crazy about it? Darth Vader turned out to be Luke's father. Oh, shut up. I haven't been to the movie yet. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think, because this might be one that I'm going to have to work on for Trivial Tuesday myself, because, you know, there's been all kinds of spoilers out there. Obviously, some people ended up getting the... I think the Sixth Sense is probably one of the biggest twists, because in order to have a spoiler, it has to have a huge twist, right? I was like, once you take away the twist from M. Night Shyamalan movie, yes, just a lot of poor lighting and ominous music. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's key. And, and, you know, people put spoiler alert up from week to week on different shows, but that's about the progress of what's happening. And um, I'm trying to think of one. I mean, probably I, I would almost guarantee that it's going to come from Pretty Little Liars because I got so far behind. And that show is full of like little surprise endings and things. That I ended up reading about it online before I knew it happened and I had to watch through it knowing what was coming. Um, but I, I'm going to think about that so I can put together a, a good list of my own for Trivial Tuesday. But is there anyone in particular that sticks out for you? Uh, two of them. I mean, I just had Sixth Sense. I think I went in – I'd heard before I went to see the movie um, uh, that, that, you know, the Bruce, about the Bruce Willis character. And um, – so I went away going, eh. And at the same time, I believe Mrs. Campaign Spot saw the movie with her parents right after a friend's father had died. Terrible time to watch a movie about somebody who died. <laughs> and that idea of, uh, of the idea of ghosts, um, there was really not emotionally in the right uh, state of mind to watch that movie. The other one, of course, I believe that somebody took a picture of this. It was a poster for The Usual Suspects back in the mid-1990s. I believe it was in the New York City subway system or something, and someone wrote above Kevin Spacey's head, I am Kaiser Soze. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, what? That's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I think I probably would have been devastated. Spoiling it for 10,000 people a day. Good grief. Right? Everybody walks by that sign. Oh, well. We got <laughs> World-class marketing for spoilers, I'll tell you that. Yeah, in retrospect, <laughs> something it is like Dad! No! it's one of the great iconic, you know, scenes in film of the, the, <laughs> the police line up there. But uh, to there, be fair, yeah. even if you are watching that, I'm not sure the first yeah. time. It's, it's I'm not sure movie. it would have stuck. Yeah, it's still a very good movie, but yes, it's that, that's the curveball that kind of makes you say, "Whoa!" So, yeah. When I thought yeah, back I, on it, uh, uh, the Darth Vader being Luke's father, you know, the word Vader is German and Dutch for father. So from the beginning, it was pretty much given away by the name of the character, and I never realized that. And I'm multilingual. I should have caught on. <laughs> Spoiled. It was a spoiler for everybody from 1976 on, right? Well, okay, we can argue from uh, amongst you know true Star Wars geeks. There's really nothing in the first movie indicating that George Lucas had thought of that yet. 
And when you think about, you know, in fact, you know, just as an Empire Strikes Back, the full tongue kiss that Luke and Leia have <laughs> makes it very clear he had not decided they were right. Yet. A little indecisiveness in the scripting is like, Luke, I am your father. I know, man, your name is father. <laughs> or alternately, the world's most powerful Jedi can't recognize that his own daughter is standing right in front of him. Uh, <laughs> you might have noticed a little bit of familiar, familiarity to her mother. Mickey, I think we could write a book on Star Wars. Spoilers. We could. Oh, I was just going to let you guys keep going because <laughs> yeah. you lost me like, I don't know, two, three minutes ago. You, but please do continue to geek on. Uh, we have come to <laughs> the end of another show and it's been a lot of fun. And I'm going to go ahead and just let these guys keep talking about Star Wars as we get off. But I encourage you to make sure that you're back here every single week. Um, you can subscribe to our podcast on soundcloud.com and you can find us at soundcloud.com forward slash and it's Jim and Mickey show and if you subscribe there you can have a, actually make sure you never miss another podcast or another episode because it'll be delivered directly to you and uh, you can do that on SoundCloud through several different options and through either your iPhone or your Android. So a great option for you there. Please do check us out on facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can find Jim on Twitter at Jim Garrity. You can find me on almost every form of social media at Biased Girl. And of course, we've got Big Dave P. That's Dave Perkins behind the board. And we're here every single week. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you've been listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey show. (laughs) 